All right, everyone. Welcome to the Mindful Hunter podcast. I'm your host as always, Jay Nickel. We are on episode 12 this week, and we're going to do a deep dive into my possibles pouch and my like camera possibles pouch. So essentially the goal for this episode is to go through all those little things that I bring on a backcountry hunt that I never really think to mention in a, in a pack dump or in a gear video, because everybody's concerned with what sleep system you're running, what kind of rain gear you have, what boots are you running? But nobody talks about the little things like what brand of fire starter do you use? Do you like uh, paracord or dyneema? Um, what uh, type of aspirin or Tylenol do you bring with you? This, that little stuff. And to be quite honest with you, it kind of seems like it's not important, but it's like I've found over the years now, it's the little things that bring that little extra bit of luxury to a hunt. And I don't need the luxury, but it definitely increases the overall level of comfort. And the more comfortable you are, the longer you'll stay out there and the more attention and focus you'll have to the task at hand. So that being said, it makes sense to me to be as comfortable as possible while still staying within, you know, certain weight limitations and other guidelines that I've set for myself. As usual, if you could like, comment, share, and subscribe on your podcasting platform of choice, it would be greatly appreciated. If you need to get in touch with me, jay at mindfulhunter.com, Instagram, mindful underscore hunter, YouTube, mindful underscore hunter, website, mindfulhunter.com. So it's been a very interesting week since the last podcast, and I was trying to decide how deep I was going to go into this topic. I talked about it a bunch with my wife, and she she had her reservations. She's a little more conservative than I am. So I'm going to kind of do, a, I'm going to walk the middle of the road here, uh, just out of respect for everyone involved. Essentially, last week, I did a gear shootout. I compared the Schnee's Beartooth against the Lathrop and Sons Mountain Hunters. Before I go any further, I would like to make one correction. On that podcast, I noted that there were no lace locks at the instep on the Lathrop and Sons Mountain Hunters. I'm incorrect. Technically, there is a lace locking mechanism. They have the standard hooks that run the rest of the way up the boot, but the ones on the instep are crimped a little bit tighter, which is the design is supposed to keep the lace from sliding back through. In my personal experience, it does not work very well. However, I said there was no lace locking mechanisms and there is a lace locking mechanism. It's just poorly designed. So I did this gear shootout. I did this review. I tagged both of the companies because if I'm willing to say something on this podcast, I'm willing to stand behind it. And it was safe to say that the individuals at Lathrop and Sons were not particularly overjoyed at the way I chose to review their boot. Now, uh, this is where I kind of like not sure how much I should share for legal reasons and the rest of it. I will say this, I had some early conversations with Lathrop and Sons that I thought were very positive. The offer that I made to them was that I was willing to go through the entire process again. Um, I would do the fitting process, just all of it from, from scratch. I would document the whole thing on my social media channels and the podcast. And at the end of it, I was willing to do a second podcast and have Stephen James, the co-owners of Lathrop and Sons, on the podcast so that they could talk about the system and explain why maybe it goes off the rails sometimes or, or why certain adjustments need to be made. I thought we were making headway with that plan. I have no desire to you know, negatively impact a, a company. But that being said, the whole purpose of this podcast is honesty and integrity and transparency. I'm here to just tell you guys the experience I have with certain products. So I'm not going to pull any punches. It turned out the closer we got to the end of that kind of narrative, a real sticking point for them was me taking down the current podcast. And they weren't really interested in having a dialogue unless I was willing to do that. I am not willing to do that um, because of my own integrity. I think if you are willing to say something, then you should be willing to stand behind it. Uh, if I make a a mistake on this podcast, 
I will correct it. If I say something that was out of line and I later see that it was inappropriate, I will come on here and I will apologize and I will tell you so. What I will not do is attempt to delete comments that I've made previously. I hate that shit. I said it, I'll stand behind it, I will own it, and I will take responsibility for it. So I do not take podcasts down. I do not delete YouTube videos. I do not delete, you know, Instagram posts. If I if I was willing to put it up in the first place, I should be willing to stand behind it. And that's kind of one of my points of frustration with, with social media these days and just, you know, communication systems as a whole. So it turned out when it became fairly clear that I was not willing to, to take it down, the kind of conversation went off the rails at that point and we're not, we're not in dialogue anymore. I, I would just like to reiterate, I, I did do extensive research online after the fact. I didn't actually look up anybody else's reviews of Lathrop and Sons, which my wife thought was quite odd before I did my review. And it was weird because like it didn't even occur to me. I just knew that I'd had this experience and I wanted to share it with people. And when I look up online, there is definitely both sides of the fence. There are some people who love the Lathrop and Sons boots, and there are some people who don't. And there's a healthy number on, on both sides of that fence. So I am certainly not alone in the experience that, that I had. Um, however, it's a free market. You know, I'm a big supporter of capitalism as a whole, and consumers are free to make their own choices, and companies are free to kind of market themselves and sell the products that they want within certain guidelines, and I support that 100%. So I, I don't harbor any ill will towards Lathrop and Sons. Their boots aren't for me, and I, I don't really um, support that particular fitting process from a personal standpoint, in my opinion, based on my own experience, if other people are, are enjoying it or want to give it to try, I, I wish you all the best and I hope that it works out for you. So as far as I know, that's as deep as the thing is going to go and it's probably just going to die here. Um, it was a good learning for me. Uh, the podcast is still relatively new and in its infancy and things that you just, I just never really thought something like that would occur. When you start shit like this, you don't actually think anybody's going to listen. You know, a few friends and a couple of my followers who like to follow my hunts on Instagram and stuff like that, but you don't really think you're going to get any real exposure. You just, that's not why I started it. I just, I like doing this and I wanted to do it. And then you come to realize, oh shit, okay, maybe there's more people listening than I thought there was. And the words that I say, you know, do have impact. So th that was good to take to take notice of as well, because I do think it's important that we take responsibility for what we say. And I think it's important that we, you know, think, you know, logically and rationally before we, you know, pronounce opinions, especially when you have an audience. I think you have a bit of, more of a responsibility than just a, a normal person posting something to social media or leaving a review on, on Amazon, for example. So like I said, as far as I know, that's as far as it's going to go, but I thought you guys would be, would be interested in that. So if there's any further developments, I will certainly keep you in the loop. And as far as boot reviews go, when I get back from my goat hunt, I will be doing an extensive review on the last Sportiva Nepal GTXs. I don't really have a head-to-head -head boot to put up against those. I'm considering buying the Schnee's Granites for my sheep hunt in August. I don't really need them. I could just run the Nepals, but I, I love gear and I love nerding out. And I think the Granites versus the Nepals would be a very interesting head-to-head -head for a variety of reasons. There's some stark differences that I find very interesting between the two. The lack of a toe weld on the, the Granite, the kind of full leather construction of the Granite versus the kind of like mostly leather, partially synthetic construction on the Nepal. The Nepal being your more classic European style mountaineering boot with your granite being the more classic Western style hunting boot in, in a mountaineering design. Anyways, I think those would be very interesting to put head to head, but the granites are like four or 500 bucks. So maybe I'll hit up Schnee's and see if they want to give me a bit of a break on a pair of granites and I'll do a head to head review against the last Sportivas. Um, Okay, so without further ado, let's get into the, the weekly columns on this week's podcast. Okay, up first, training update. Training is going phenomenal. 
I'm still nursing the pinched nerve in my shoulder, my kind of upper trap that's producing pain kind of in my medial delt and my, and my rear delt, depending on the angle that I'm, that I move through. I'd say I'm maybe like 75, 80% healed. And I bet you this last 20% with weird shit like this, I bet you it takes six months before I'm back to hundred percent. So I'd say I'm training in the gym at, you know, definitely a reduced capacity, being very cognizant that I'm injured, not pushing things too hard, but I'm still getting good sessions in. I'm, I'm, I'm smack dab full swing in the middle of the program that I described last week. In case you didn't tune in last week, no lower body weight training, three days a week in the gym. Day one is chest, front delts, medium delts. Day two, back kind of rear delts and traps and day three arms. And then I'm hiking three days a week and I'm rotating hike, gym, hike, gym, hike, gym, put one day off in there to round it out to a seven day week. Um, I've got in a couple weighted backpack hikes on the mountain. And I also did my first weighted backpack hike on the treadmill in probably six months. Um, I highly recommend doing both. I, I sweat way more on the treadmill than I do out in the actual mountains. And I think it's because of the constant level of exertion. Like the thing about walking on a trail is that you go up, you go flat, you go down, you go around, you go up, you go flat, you go around, you go down. So there's like your, your level of exertion is always shifting. And I feel like except for the stairs part in the middle of my trail, there's no point on the hike where like I'm severely gassed, except for, yeah, just that one part by the stairs. Whereas with a treadmill, you can kind of take it right up to your upper threshold and then just sit there and just grind it out. What I tend to do is work up towards max incline on the treadmill, 45 pound plate on my back. I usually try to go four miles per hour. This early in the month, it'll take me a while to work up to that speed. And then I go for 60 minutes. Also this early, I'm having to take breaks. Like every 10 or 15 minutes, I have to stop the treadmill for, you know, maybe 30 to 60 seconds. My calves, because of the high carb intake and and some of the supplements that I take, get so pumped up with blood. I, I Like it's just super painful and I have to take a break. And I sit down and the kind of blood drains out of my calves and I'm, and I'm good to go again. But within the next seven to 10 days, that will have stopped because I shifted my supplement protocol maybe two weeks ago now, and I lowered my my carbs at the same time. So it just kind of takes a while for all that shit to flush out of your system. But that was one big difference from the treadmill because it's just the same constant step over and over and over again. Your calves just feel like they're going to explode. Whereas on the mountain, again, there's enough diversity that they don't get that same like exact repetition that you get on the treadmill. So Super happy with where training's at. I'm down maybe three or four pounds. I think I was weighing in at like 260 and I feel like I'm like I'm going to hold steady here for a while. So as I mentioned in the other podcast, I dropped all my carbs by maybe 50 grams a meal. What I forgot to mention on that other podcast is that I actually have lower carb days on my hiking only days. And, and I, it, my carbs dropped by like another 70 grams of, of cooked food weight on those days. So for example, a typical meal on a training day, will have like 220 grams of rice and a typical meal on a non-training day or a hiking, a day where I just hike, will have 150 grams of rice. And depending on the day and the, what's going on, I have five to six meals a day and one to two shakes. No idea what my macros or my, or my, total caloric intake is right now. And I, I don't really care. Um, I know that it's producing the, the kind of effect that I want it to. I normally try to make sure I get a minimum of 250 grams of protein, which is like one pound, one gram per pound of body weight. And if you did lean body mass, it's more like 1.5. And that depending on which calculation you use, that kind of puts me in the, in the sweet spot for my, for my body weight. Other than that, no real changes. I've decided when I get back from my goat hunt, I'm going to do a no junk food march. And I, man, snacks are my Achilles heel. Like, holy fuck, do I like to snack? I mean, I like it all, man. My favorite kind of salty, savory snack is probably barbecue munchies, the chips that have like, 
you know, crunchets and Doritos and pretzels. Fuck, there's so things are so good. Um, I like ice cream. I, I like baked goods. I like if it's shitty food, I like it. I do. And um, I, I don't, it's kind of the only thing that I really treat myself with anymore. I don't drink anymore. So that's not really a vice that I lean on. But like when I get to the end of the week and I've been good, like my typical MO is to like, all right, you can eat like shit this weekend. But I want to, I, I think a lot of that is psychological and, and I just, I just, I, I do well with timelines when things have a deadline. I don't like this, like, well, I'm just going to eat better. And it's like, eh, I don't know. That's just not like real enough and tactical enough to work for me. So I think, yeah, we're just going to cut out all junk food totally for the month of March and just see, see what happens and see how it goes. Cause the other thing that's coming down the line here will be my sheep hunt in August. So it's still quite a ways out. Um, and my conditioning is a good spot, so I'm not concerned about it. However, I mean, you can always be more conditioned and you can always shave a couple of pounds of fat. So that's what I'm going to do and we'll see how it goes. So we're going to skip the gear corner this week because I'm about to literally go through like a hundred different pieces of tiny gear. And so I didn't really feel the need to kind of clog the podcast with any more of it. So essentially what I'm going to do, I've got, I'd say I'm 80% packed for the goat hunt. The nice thing about the podcast is I've never been this prepared in my life for a hunt. Um, and it's because I keep doing podcasts about elements of the of the the things that I'm bringing, so it forces me to kind of get everything out of storage, clean it all, organize it, get it all ready to go. And so, yeah, I'm like 80% ready to go. So what I did last night and this morning is, except for all my big stuff, like sleep system, shelter, uh, clothes, rain gear, boots, like all those big ticket items. That's all in a totally different pile, but I went through all of my totes and I pulled out all my, my tiny stuff, which I kind of do at the beginning of each hunt. Cause it's not like I'm doing the same type of hunt again and again and again. It's like vastly different. Like the last hunt I did before this one was a guided mule deer, archery mule deer hunt in Alberta. Like the kinds of things I needed in my possibles pouch were completely different than a solo backcountry, you know, multi-day expedition style hunt. So I normally start from scratch. I dump everything out and it also allows me to like kind of trim things down because you'll notice after three hunts in a row that there's been like this one thing in your kit and it's like, I've never used that one thing in last three hunts. What are the odds I'm going to need it on the fourth hunt? Fuck it. Let's save some weight. And then I organized it all into like a few key pouches over here. So I got my kill kit, my possibles kit, my camera accessories kit, and then just a couple other little things that I kind of thought were interesting and that we could talk about. So what I'm going to do is one at a time, we're going to go through these kits. I'm going to dump them out and I'm going to pick apart each little thing. And I'm going to tell you why I use it, where I got it, what some substitutes for it might be, why I think it's useful, maybe circumstances where I think you wouldn't need this. Um, And I'm just going to kind of go off the cuff. I didn't script or prepare anything today. I never script, but normally I write an outline to keep me on track, but there's just too many things to talk about. So that being said, if you need to hit me up, leave a comment below or shoot me a DM on Instagram. If you want me to clarify any of the stuff that we talked about today. So let's get some of the, like the bigger ticket items out of the way. So first up, if you're in the video component, you'll be able to see all this stuff. If you're, if you're not, if you're on the audio component, then you won't. This is an insulated, it's from Outdoor Research, and it's an insulated Nalgene holster. This thing is cool as shit. Um, My buddy Tyler, we were blacktail hunting, and I seen he had one. This is years ago. And I was like, I need one of these. So there's a big Velcro strap and kind of thick patch on the back here that'll go through most molly webbing. And the idea is you hang it on the, the belt of your backpack. You don't have to do that though. Here's why this thing is so, you know, I'll open it up so you can see inside. So it basically just fits a Nalgene. It's heavily insulated and it zips closed. Here's why this is so important or, or it's going to be so beneficial the hunt I'm going on, the temperatures are predicted to be around, you know, minus 25 to minus 27 Celsius at night. And for the Americans in the crowd, 
uh, Fahrenheit and Celsius match up at minus 32. So we're pretty close to minus 32. So basically the same in Fahrenheit and maybe hitting, you know, minus the highs of, of minus 15, maybe some days minus 10. That's what the current forecast looks like. In my experience, one of the single most practical issues you run into in that temperature is freezing water. If you don't shake your water for like 20 minutes, it freezes up near the cap. And then even if the whole bottle isn't frozen, you can't get anything through the frozen liquid, like the ice at the top. So what I tend to do on hunts like this is I will, I'll start out the day with like moderately warm water. It's not the most, you know, delicious thing on the face of the planet, but it, it serves a purpose and I will keep it in this, um, insulated kind of sleeve. And I'll probably just keep it in my backpack. Cause I've got a couple other things going on in my, on my belts. And I don't really like big Nalgene bottles kind of just clanking around down there. It will help retain the heat from the initial water. And it also just won't let the water freeze as quickly, even if it's not heated water. Um, so that's super cool. I don't know. It was like 20 or 30 bucks. I bought it at MEC. And again, it's made by outdoor research up next. It, nobody really ever talks about this, but it's like the rain fly for a backpack. It, it's important to have one of these on, on these solo kind of backcountry hunts for a couple reasons. One, if it's pissing rain, it's nice to keep your gear at least moderately dry. Or if it's like heavy, wet snow, it's nice to keep it moderately dry. But here's the other thing. I don't have a shitload of room inside the Hilleberg solo and the vestibule is not big enough for my pack. So the rain fly kind of lets me, it's like a mini tarp for my backpack. So what I've done in previous in the past is I will cut down some like spruce boughs or pine boughs and kind of build a little bed on the snow because here's why I do that. Because in the past I haven't, I've covered up the back of the backpack and then laid the straps down. I've even done this in rainy conditions, not just necessarily snow. And you go to wake up the next morning and put on a backpack with soaking wet straps. And it's the worst feeling in the world. Like it's cold and slimy and fucking sucks. So I'll build a little shelf out of some boughs. I'll lay the backpack straps face down, and then I will cover up the rest of the backpack with the rain fly. And then I don't need to worry about having a shitload of room inside my tent for my gear. And I still don't need to worry about it getting soaking wet outside. This one isn't the one for my actual backpack. This one is from Outdoorsman's. I bought it when I bought my long range hunter optics pack from them. Um, it, listen, most backpacks are pretty close to the same size. It doesn't really matter. There's a couple of Velcro tab loops that you just put on key places in your backpack and it's a close enough fit that it works for me. And again, in case you haven't, I haven't mentioned it or you don't remember, I'm going to be running a Kafaru Fulcrum, which I'll maybe talk about on a later podcast before I leave. I feel like I've talked about that backpack a lot because I've been running it for almost four years. All right. Up next, let's dive into the kill kit. I don't really make any changes on this. Um, I use the carnivore three high country predator game bags from caribou gear. They're like an ultralight washable game bag system. I think there's five game bags in here and they're like boned out game bags. So they have structure and rigidity to them. And I wouldn't say they're rigid, but they have structure to the bags. So you can essentially debone your meat and it doesn't just turn into a big sloppy kind of mess of cheesecloth like it would with traditional like Alaskan style game bags. I was considering, you know, to shave a few ounces of maybe only taking three of these in there. And then I thought, ah, you never know. It might be nice to kind of keep some of the meat separate. And I'm also considering selling the cape. Um, if I decide not to keep it, we can cover that on a later podcast. And I thought, well, maybe you'll want to use to keep, keep maybe you'll want to use one of the game bags to keep that separate. I mean, who knows? Um, so I've decided I'm just going to bring the whole lot. And like I was saying earlier, I don't really make any changes to this. This is the same kill kit I take on every hunt. Up next, I have a little Ziploc bag that I have some wet wipes and four rubber gloves. Um, it's just nice to be able to change them. Sometimes you do half of it, take a break and then, and then do the other half. Or sometimes you go to put one on and it rips. So I like having a, a backup. 
I used to never really worry about rubber gloves. And to be honest with you, it's not like I'm really that concerned about blood poisoning or any other like hygienic issue. What I'm really concerned about is just, it's a pain in the ass if you're not near a water source to like clean your fucking hands afterwards. And it's a lot nicer to just pull off the gloves and you've got nice clean hands. So yeah. And that way you can also... If you take little breaks, you can sip coffee and you can eat a sandwich and you don't have like these bloody hands kind of rubbing all over everything. Up next, um, my kind of processing knife of choice is the Havilon Peranta. Um, I really like replaceable blade knives. Um, I can see an argument for one of the other knives. Part of it is cost. A Havilon Peranta is, I don't know, like 40 bucks. And then you can buy a big old case of blades for like another 50 bucks. Thing will last you for years. Some of the really nice fixed blade knives for processing are like two, 300 bucks, man. Like I went and looked at some of them and I was just like, I, I can't justify that. And you don't got to fuck around with sharpening stuff, you know? So anyways, I can see the value of, of having one and maybe one day I'll pick one up. But for now, I like my Peranta. And then one, sometimes two, if I was going on an elk hunt, I'd bring two of these because it's a smaller animal. I bring one contractor bag. This serves a variety of purposes, but its ultimate use or purpose is for me to put the game bags inside of in my backpack. I don't like meat shelves. I like meat in my bag. It's because it, the, the bag still operates the way it was designed to operate. As soon as you start using meat shelves, you start extending the weight way past an appropriate plane of pressure, like out past your back. And that's going to create weird torque and weird tension. It's going to imbalance you. I just, I don't like it. If you like it, that's fine. I don't. I would rather like a taller, wider pack on my back than something pushed out from my back. That being said, I don't want my gear covered in uh, blood. So what I tend to do, if I have to do everything in one trip, is I will empty my whole bag. I will put all the game bags inside this one. I will, well, here's how I actually do it. I empty out the bag. I open the contractor bag. I stuff the contractor bag in my backpack as a sleeve. I then dump the game bags inside the contractor bag. I close the contractor bag. I then put all my gear on top. Um, now, some people are going to say you shouldn't have game bags in an airtight bag, blah, blah, blah. I get it. It's like for a hike out. And if it was going to take me multiple days, then I would be taking the meat out of the garbage bag every night, letting it air out and putting it back in the next day. And if I had to, I would, I would take a break midday. I, I, that I've never had to do that in all the years that I've been hunting because it's always been like a a half to a three quarter day hike out, um, from wherever I was and the, having the meat inside of a, a contractor bag for four to six hours has never proved an issue whatsoever. The key for processing and, 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 and carrying out meat when you're in the back country. And I covered this on an earlier podcast is that you need to let it dry and package it appropriately first. Then you have all kinds of forgiveness later. But if you just hunk off a hindquarter, stuff it in a game bag and stick it in your backpack, you're going to have problems. If you debone it, if you hang it, if you let it get a bit of a crust, then you put it in a game bag, then you put it in your, your backpack, you're fucking golden, mate. So that's everything in my kill kit. I used to also keep a short hank of paracord in there, but I've recently moved that to my possibles kit. So we'll get that in a minute. Primarily because these newer game bags have really long, very strong drawstrings. And now I've just found it's, and they've got these little, um, those little slide locks or like orange things that you squish and the drawstrings can move through them. It's super easy to like cinch those tight, loop the drawstring over a branch, and then just kind of hook that on that orange little um, piece of plastic. And that's a great way to hang the meat. And I don't got to fuck around with like, tying and cutting paracord to, to hang meat and stuff like that. So that's why I moved the paracord over to the possible sketch. Okay. Up next, we're going to do my camera accessory bag. And before we do that, I have a mini lens cleaning accessory bag that I normally keep in a more accessible spot. And what I have in here 
is a rocket duster. This is just to like clean out a lens or with the Sony a7 III that I use, it's a mirrorless camera. So one of the benefits of a DSLR camera, which does have a mirror, is that the mirror protects the sensor. So when you pull off a lens, nothing can fall directly on the sensor. With mirrorless cameras like the Sony systems or the new uh, Canon R systems like the R5 and the R6, there is no mirror. So your sensor is directly exposed to the environment when you take a lens off. So you do that, a little piece of fluff flies in there. You just grab this rocket duster, pop it out. Plus, if you're going to clean a lens, that's always the first thing to do is use this. And you don't want to blow on it. You have condensation coming from your mouth. So you tend to like put a little bit of moisture on things like sensors and lenses That is that is no good. And then up next, this is kind of like a, just a lens pen, you could call it. It basically has two ends. One has this little foam end and the other end is like more like soft bristles. And it would be like, I would call second stage cleaning. So first I'm going to use the rocket duster. Then I'm going to use the lens pen. And then finally, I have a variety of pre-packaged, individually wrapped lens wipes. I will also, all of this stuff that you see here, I will use for my camera. But the other reason I keep this in a separate pouch is that I use all this shit for my optics as well. So I probably clean my spotting scope and binoculars more often than I clean my camera, to be honest with you. Um, and all this stuff works really good. And when you start to get really nice optics, it's like, yeah, you could grab the corner of a t-shirt and clean it. But it's like, when you're talking about a $6,000 spotting scope, it's like, eh, I don't know, man. I think I'll just take a second and get a lens wipe and do it do it properly. Okay. So that's the little extras that I carry. Now let's get right into the nuts and bolts. So I'm going to dump this out and I'm going to put things back in one at a time. So up first, I have a waterproof SD card carrier. I bought this thing on Amazon years ago. It kicks ass. It's literally just a tiny little plastic wallet looking thing with a rubber gasket that clips closed and it holds a dozen SD cards. So I carry both uh, micro SD cards for the GoPros and the regular SD cards for my Sony. I have a dual battery charger for the GoPro. You kind of don't need this in the backcountry because you could just charge through the GoPros directly. However, I take minimal cords into the backcountry, and obviously you only have one spot to plug in on your battery. Two kinda if you use the PD port and the IQ port. Um, so this thing weighs, I don't know, like an ounce or something. Like it weighs next to nothing. And it allows me to charge two GoPro batteries at once. So I find that efficiency worth the extra couple grams. Up next, I have a tripod adapter for my Sony camera. I've just ordered a super sweet new piece of gear. That's actually going to put me, allow me to put two adapters on the base plate of my camera. So I always carry my camera on a peak designs, shoulder strap holster. The issue with that is that I can't, I then have to take that adapter plate off and put the outdoorsman's adapter plate on to put it on the tripod to do like you know, some, some smooth panning video footage or take trophy pictures or, and it's just a pain in the ass. You got to carry an Allen wrench with you. And it's just, I always say I'm going to do it and I never bother doing it. And so I found this sweet little plate that's going to allow me to put both on at the same time. So I can just take it off my little rig, put it right on the tripod. And I think when things are convenient, I have a greater likelihood of doing them. So I'm hoping it'll increase the variety of, of the footage that I get a little bit at least. Up next, we have a Joby Gorilla Pod for the GoPro. This thing is worth its weight in gold. It's basically an articulating tripod. And the legs are made out of these little bubbles and you can wrap the legs independently around things. Where I use this most often is like tree branches when I want to set up like a time lapse of setting up my camp or the sun rising or me glassing. Um, I've also always wanted to try and kind of narrow down an elk calling setup and, and set this up on a tree and then solo call in a bull and film myself both calling it in and killing it. I still haven't quite been able to pull that off. So that might take a little while yet. 
Up next, we have two GoPro Hero 9s. Two major benefits of the GoPro Hero 9. Number one, they shoot in 5K. Tons of room to zoom in. That's what's more important than the actual kind of clarity or quality of the, of the image. These things take a very wide-angled shot, and so they don't really tell a whole lot of story. But when you're capturing things in 5K, you can zoom in quite a bit, and it still looks like an, like an HD film. Number two, they have some basic horizon leveling capabilities. So if, I'm, if I put this thing on my head and it's at like a 15-degree angle, when I go look at the footage, the footage will be flat. It, it shoots a greater field of view than you can actually see on the camera. And so in post, it will actually adjust the field of view so that the horizon is level. It's not perfect, but it works quite good. And if you buy the Max Pro lens mod, it's crazy. You can like flip the camera upside down and do all kinds of whack shit. But for those two reasons, the 5K and the horizon leveling, I highly suggest Hero 9s over the other GoPros. Up next, this is a weird uh, mountain bike handle clamp that I bought, and it allows me to mount a GoPro to my trekking pole. I've had it with me on, on a hunt, one hunt now, but I didn't use it just because the circumstances didn't really present themselves. However, I'm looking forward to it on, on the goat hunt. It should, again, anything that I can do to increase it, because filming everything yourself, you, you start looking at everything through the same angle again and again and again, and it, it kind of gets a little bit old for the viewer. And I will not do that shit where you run up 200 meters, leave your camera, run back, pick up your backpack, and then walk past your camera like some other fucking guy, you know, a magical leprechaun popped out of fairyland and, and moved your camera for you. It's like, I hate that shit. Like, if you are a solo hunter filming solo, then film like you're solo. Don't walk around three extra times for no reason. It's just asinine. That being said, I still think there's creative ways that you can create different perspectives for your audience and tell a more engaging story without kind of fabricating this reality that doesn't really exist. I like the authenticity of solo filming. These are the only chords I'm taking. Most of the time I have like two pounds worth of chords because I'm like, well, what if this happens or that happens? And I've realized time after time after time, I need one chord for the iPhone, one chord for the GoPro, and one micro USB for all everything else. The in-reach, my headlamps, anything else. My Kindle, if I take it and want to charge it. And so I bought, I got really short versions of chords that I could. Um, and that's it. That's all I take now. Three chords. And I looped them in a way so that for most of the time, I can actually use the two ends of the cord without uh, unraveling this little Velcro strap that I have on here, which saves me from like reorganizing the cords again and again and again. In this pouch, we have batteries. I bring six GoPro batteries and two batteries for the Sony. I've never actually went through more than one battery, but I've only ever actually filmed for like maybe three days with a Sony before, before getting to someplace where I could recharge it. So this will be the longest I've gone in with the Sony. So I'll be taking, like I said, six GoPro batteries and two Sony batteries. Small aside here, the thing that is worrying me most about this hunt is keeping batteries working in the cold. I'll talk about that a little bit more in some of my strategies on a future podcast, but they bench, they, most of them revolve around not keeping batteries in camera, keeping one or two batteries in my actual hip pockets in my pants, and then when I want to film, immediately taking the battery out shooting what I want to shoot and immediately putting the battery back because that's what shut me down in Alberta. And it wasn't even that cold. The batteries just kept shutting off. Head strap for GoPro. I, I will simplify this for everybody. I've gone back and forth on, on, on all the different ways to attach GoPros and all kinds of shit. When I'm in the field, I use the head strap and the Gorilla Pod. That's it. Now I have the additional possibility of this thing for the trekking pole. So I've added a little bit of complexity, but if you just wanted to keep it super simple, head strap, gorilla pod, that's all you're ever going to need for your GoPro. Uh, back battery. So this is an anchor 20,000 milliamp hour power bank. Got it on Amazon for like 40 bucks. 
kicks ass. I had one before this that lasted me three years and then died. I don't go in for like the name brand hunting ones. I just don't think they're worth the money. And even the, like they only have like 10,000 milliamp hours, which is kind of shitty. One small addition I'm going to make this year. I just ordered a second 10,000 milliamp hour ultra slim version of this. I got concerned. Sometimes the last charge or two on these is a little unreliable. Like your battery will be draining like 80, 70, 60, and like reliably going down every time you plug in a device. You'll get down to like 30%, go to plug something in and it's like out. And you're like, fuck. And I'm going to be so deep and so alone that concerns me. So I'm taking a backup battery that holds enough for two iPhone charges. So it will stay in my pack away from everything else. I will run this thing into the ground if that's what happens. And I know no matter what happens, I will have two iPhone charges deep in my backpack. So that's like a little safety measure that I don't normally worry about that I'm taking along this time. This is a USB charger for the Sony batteries. Again, it weighs like an ounce. You can't actually charge Sony batteries through a Sony camera. You can plug in a power source and have it run off a power source, but you can't charge the battery. So the only way to charge the battery in the backcountry is a USB battery charger for the Sony batteries. And the last thing, I'm not even gonna bother to open up, it's a phone scope. This one is a pre-production model because they didn't have the 12 Pro Maxes built yet, but it's a phone case for an iPhone 12 Pro Max, and then it has the scope ring to go on my Zeiss Harpia. Uh, I didn't bother getting a scope ring for my 10 powers because I just don't think it, it really adds that much, um, especially now that I've got the 70 mil lens. I will make a quick comment there. So I'm taking a 24 millimeter to 70 millimeter F 2.8 lens for my Sony a7 III, and that will be my primary rig. Um, the one note I will make about this is that I bought two scope ring adapters. I went to Alberta. I put one on my... Uh, scope, my spotting scope. My buddy went to go grab the spotting scope. He brought it over to where we were and the scope ring was gone and we could never find it. And I thought to myself, what a stupid thing to not have a backup of. So one will stay on the scope and the other one will stay in my camera accessory bag. And then worst case scenario, if I lose one, I can just go get my spare. All right. Finally, the moment everybody's waiting for the actual possibles pouch. Somebody on Instagram asked me, why is it called a possibles pouch? It's because anything's possible, man. And you want to have your possibles ready from when the shit that you didn't think was possible happens, happens. So it's your possibles pouch. I'm going to move all this shit over. Dump everything out. Okay, let's just start picking random shit. Um, toilet paper and wet wipes. I always, I normally, I have a spot kind of in the top shelf of my backpack where I keep my toilet paper and my wet wipes. However, I do keep an, a little, just a tiny, like this can't weigh more than an ounce. What, you know, but just a little bit of backup, a little bit of backup TP, a little bit of backup wet wipes. You never know when you're going to need them. I've never had too much toilet paper. Um, Medication. There's three, well, there's four things in here. Tylenol, acetaminophen, uh, Advil or ibuprofen, some mild sleeping pills, which have never actually worked for me, but I heard Tim Barnett talk about it on Solo Hunter. So I put some in here and a, kind of a stronger uh, muscle relaxant, like a, like a Robaxaset type pill. Um, because I've had lower back issues before and not being able to sleep through the night is just fucking terrible. So if I have to, I'll munch a couple of those. And there's a decent amount in here. I've had hunts where I was eating a half a dozen Tylenol and a half a dozen Advil every day just to kind of like keep the pain bearable. I really don't give a shit how many of these I eat when I'm on a hunt. If it, if I'm performing better and it's kind of taking the edge off, munch them down. You're only in there for a week. Uh, Leatherman. This particular model is called 
the Skeletool. It's like an ultralight Leatherman. And then in addition, I have two sleeves of Allen attachments here. Everything from like screwdrivers to a little chisel to like all the different Allen heads. Like there's everything in the Torx wrenches. Um, and I keep meaning to go through and look at everything that I own, every p- potential size of thing that I would need to fix. And then narrowing this down to just one of these but I just have never gotten around to it and I might be saving an ounce and it's just not worth it to potentially not have the one bit that I might need. And sometimes you're hunting with other people. I was hunting with one guy and this, this little weird thing on his bow got loose and he'd have been fucked, but I was able to fix it with this. So highly recommend a Leatherman of some kind. The pliers are really what sets it apart. Otherwise you could just have a knife and an Allen wrench, but having a set of pliers is key. This little bobble here is essentially three Velcro straps. So again, for people on audio, it's basically like a four inch strap of Velcro that is a half an inch wide. And I have a bunch of these because if you're wrapping up cords, if you're trying to organize things in your backpack, you know, those like long straps on your backpack that you have to like roll up. So they're not flapping everywhere. That's what I use these for. So I just keep an extra couple of those just in case something falls off my backpack or I'm trying to organize shit and keep it out of the way. These things are invaluable. And again, the way to evaluate this shit is like, what's it actually weigh? Like this weighs nothing. So having this in there doesn't hurt anybody. Mio. I love this shit. I hate drinking water. Fucking hate it. Couple squirts of meal. Shit's delicious. So I bring like, I probably bring close to one meal per day when I'm going on a backcountry hunt. A Garmin in reach. Invaluable. If you're, if you're hunting anywhere outside of cell range, you have to have one. This is a non-negotiable piece of gear. Um, most guys use it to text their wives and shit. My wife is a bit of an oddity. She kind of couldn't give a shit when I'm not here. I mean, she prefers it when I am here, but if I'm not here, texting with me doesn't help anything. It doesn't help take care of the kid. It doesn't help do anything around the house. I've had nights where I was like lonely and like texting her, hoping for like, you know, some communication and like, oh, how are you going? And I miss you. And you just don't get shit, <laughs> which is probably good for me because the last thing I need is like ego stroking or anything. I just always think it's comical because- go hunting with somebody else and their wife is like constantly trying to keep in touch. And like my wife could not give a fuck. Starbucks via two extra packets. I got way more in my actual food, but sometimes you forget something or it's not worth digging out your whole food bag or whatever. It's just handy to have two extra ones. Uh, Maybe I miscount and I run out. So these are like the two backups. Every time I post about these things, some Yahoo is going to tell me about Black Rifle Coffee or some other backpacking fucking company. Here's my response. When those companies decide to get a reasonably placed product into Canada where I don't get raped by fucking customs fees and shipping fees, I'm more than willing to experiment with it. But as it stands, the only decent coffee product instant available in Canada for a reasonable price is this stuff. And it's fucking delicious. So this is what I use. Pisses me off, man. Cause like black rifle coffee even has a Canadian site and they've got like whole beans and all the rest of it. They do not list their instant coffee products on the Canadian site, only on the American site. Kind of bullshit. Salt pills. I have had historically problems with cramping and pretty severe cramps, like scared I'm not going to get off the mountain type shit. So I will take one to two of these a day, no matter what. For the layman, a balance of electrolytes and sodium is required to absorb water intracellularly. Okay. Otherwise it just goes through you and you piss it out. So most people think salt is bad, but if you if you don't up your salt intake, especially under strenuous physical activity, your body can't actually hang on to the water and use the water that you're giving it. I'm going to go through all these at, at once. I normally have three lighters and I keep them in different spots 
in my bag, just in case like something falls out or I lose something or something goes in the water, I'm reducing, I'm creating redundancy and I'm reducing the likelihood of a catastrophic failure. So I keep multiple lighters. And what I do with these lighters is I wrap them in shit that I might need later. So this one is wrapped in duct tape. This one is wrapped in athletic tape. And the one that's in my first aid kit is wrapped in Luco tape. Again, you're looking for like, I don't want to bring a roll of duct tape, a roll of athletic tape and a roll of Luco tape. That's just insane. So finding a way to bring reasonable amounts of things is a great way to shave weight because then you're not forced into a situation where it's like, well, I don't want to not bring any Luco tape. So find a way to compromise. And if you can't bring it all, bring some. This is a pocket boy bush saw. It is probably eight to 10 inches long in total has a four to five inch handle and a five to six inch blade, uh, heavily serrated. And it's a handsaw. I don't typically take this on a hunt. However, being able to build fires on this goat hunt is going to be really nice. And it's pretty shitty terrain up there. And I'm not expecting a lot of like really creamy dry forest where I can like scour the ground for twigs and kindling and dry dead branches that have fallen off. It's probably not going to be like that. So I haven't completely made up my mind, but I'm heavily leaning towards taking this because then at least I could saw, you know, smaller two to three inch diameter, you know, branches and and smaller logs and trunks um, that would help get some firewood. So I'd say I'm like 80, 90% convinced I'm going to take this. Steri pen. This is my water purification device of choice. I love it. I've used it for four years and I've never had an issue. Now, this is the Adventurer Opti. The drawback with this thing is that the batteries die with zero warning and like at odd times. Sometimes the battery will last a week. Sometimes it'll last six months. It's probably a flaw with the system itself. I used to think the thing was broken. Like I think I thought it kept breaking. And then I just realized every single time, as long as I put in a new battery, it started working again. So I've kept it and not got a new one because it's like a hundred or 150 bucks and it does work. The caveat is I always have a spare battery. So I always bring, and it's a weird battery. It's like a, a C103 or something like that. It's maybe three quarters of an inch to an inch tall and like a circumference of, of half an inch, like a short, a really short, fat double A. Um, other versions of the Steri pen don't seem to have this issue. And they also take double A batteries, which are much more convenient. So if I was to buy it from scratch, I'd probably get that other one that takes the double A's, but this one works. Compass. If you do not know how to take a compass, put it on a map, and then use the landmarks in reality to find out where you are and get to some place that you want to go. You have no business walking around in the mountains alone. Uh, it is an absolute necessary skill to have. I am very fortunate that I spent 15 years of my life in forestry engineering, and there was no GPS when I started. So this was all we had. And in fact, when we used to go to a new layout, We'd run a hip chain, which is like a string box. It's like this box that you hang on your hip that has like super fine string and it fits two miles on one spool and it counts as it pulls out of your back and you would literally tie it onto a tree at the truck and you'd take bearings and just start walking. And then you'd like be marking down on the map. Oh, okay. We walked a, you know, a, a hundred yard or a hundred meters at 240 degrees. Mark that on the map. Okay. Now we went 300 meters. Anyways, it was a huge pain in the ass. But you learn how to triangulate and you learn how to find physical landmarks and then take bearings on those landmarks to find out where you are and then look at the map to find out what bearing you need to take to get to where you need to go. So if you don't have basic land nav or orienteering experience, go look for some kind of weekend course or something because I think it's just irresponsible. Onyx has given everybody this like false sense of security and I use the shit out of Onyx. I love it. But if my Onyx dies, I'm fine. I've had my Onyx die. I've run out of batteries on my phone in the middle of the woods. I'm still here right now. So always have a paper map, always have a compass, understand the basic concepts of land nav. If you don't, go take a course. 
backup water purification, Aquatabs. This is just in case something goes wrong with the SteriPen. Also, if I was in an area where I was going to purify a large content of water all at once, like I have a 10 liter MSR dromedary, and let's say I was in the high country and I found a good water source and I just wanted camp water, I would fill up the whole bladder dump in the appropriate amount of these aqua tabs and come back in an hour. The problem with the SteriPen is you can only do one liter at a time. So it's a little bit of a pain in the ass. Fire starter. I don't know exactly what material this is. I think I, I found it by just typing in trioxane in Amazon. It's called Esbit and it's like a, a waxy material. They come in these white cubes. And the shit torches up like nothing you've ever seen. As soon as you touch a lighter to it, it just starts flaming red hot and it burns for a long time. Like one of these little cubes will start an entire fire. No problem. I'm going to be taking a liberal amount of these with me. It is going to be very wet where I go. So if I'm lucky enough to find anything resembling dry timber, it's still going to need a helping hand to get going. So now is not the time for like, you know, drilling into hunks of wood using a bow and string and trying to be Mr. Primitive. The point is to be comfortable and stay alive. So I take the tools that are required to do that. Sleeping pad patch kit. These are kind of universal. It doesn't really matter. This one's made by 3M and essentially it, you just find the hole. If you don't know where the hole is, you can put a little bit of soap or a little bit of water and then just look for the bubbles, find the hole, patch it up, and you're good to go. Now, I also have Tenacious Tape. This, these are, this is like a great little product from this company called Gear Aid, and it's basically like little patches of Tenacious Tape. And Tenacious tape is much like a patch would be a little bit different, but you can kind of patch anything you want with tenacious tape. I could patch my tent. I could patch my rain gear. I could patch a sleeping pad. I could patch my sleeping bag. If a spark hole got burnt into it, like shit works for everything. So super worthwhile to have a little bit of tenacious tape. Wind checker, no matter what hunting I'm going on, archery, rifle, close distance, far distance. I always have wind checker. I keep one bottle in the little left compartment of my bino harness. And I keep a second bottle in my possibles pouch in case one of them gets lost. I like the name brand smoke in a bottle. It's by a company called ambush. Um, and it's like the difference between cheap smoke in a bottle and expensive smoke in a bottle is the dispersion. The cheap shit is like chalk dust, man. Like you're beating the shit out of this stuff, trying to get it go up in the air and it's just thick and clumpy. The expensive stuff, man, that has just a hint of purple to it. Like you just give the lightest squeeze and this little wisp comes up and it just shows you exactly what the wind is doing. So don't try and save money on smoking a bottle. Get the nice shit. Up next, Voltaren Extra Strength. This is kind of something most people won't need. Because of my Morton's Neuroma, sometimes it just flares up and it's insanely painful. This is the only compound I've found that actually has any effect. It really seems to help with nerve-related pain, which seems particularly hard to address through any other mechanism. So if you have anything like that, taking a little thing of Voltaren and the extra strength, don't pussyfoot around is very beneficial. And again, it's it's not very big. And I wrapped some Luco tape around it just because I'm looking for stuff all the time in my kit that like could be doing other stuff. And when I see a little tube that doesn't have anything on it, I'm like, well, that's dumb. We can put something on that. So even though I already have some other Luco tape, I did put some on here. The one thing I will mention with the tape systems, wrapping it around stuff, I replace it all every year. I've had it in the past where I didn't and I went to use it. And because it had just gotten like wet and dry, wet and dry, cold and hot, wet and dry so many times, the, the, the tackiness was essentially gone and it was kind of a shitty situation. So now at the beginning of every year, I rip all the tape off of all my shit and I rewrap it. Dyneema cord. This stuff is like magic. I don't even know what kind of like little wood nymphs created this shit, but 
I think there's something like 270 or 450 pounds tensile strength on this fucking, it looks like dental floss. Like it's so small. Um, and it's crazy, crazy, crazy strong. If you want to buy stuff like this, I recommend Z-Packs. Z-Packs is a website that makes all kinds of cool Dyneema and Cuban fiber and carbon shit. Um, Super cool website, really cool guys into like ultralight through hiking. I've got this. I bought carbon fiber tent pegs from them that are amazing and shave like 80% of the weight of your tent pegs. And they've been strong and sturdy and they've worked in every condition I've used them in. So yeah, Dyneema cord, um, super useful for like weird shit and weighs next to nothing. And that's kind of the definition of what you want in your possible pouch. Super useful super light shit. Now here's some actual just paracord. I think it's maybe like 10, 15 feet of it. And I'll just keep this. The primary use for something like this is when I want to elevate my food. Um, I, I keep all of my food in like a dry sack and then I can just tie a rock to the end of the paracord, huck it up over a branch, tie it to my dry bag, pull it on up into the tree. Done that several times with this exact piece of paracord. Or if I wanted to cut smaller hunks and hang up pieces of meat, I could do that too. So highly recommend having, and I don't know if it's five or seven strand. I could open it up and tell you, but not crazy, crazy. Like you're not looking to climb mountains with it. You know what I mean? Uh, the Optimus Long Spoon, Titanium Long Spoon. This is probably one of the most useful things you will ever buy. I despise getting mountain house all over my knuckles and wrist from like reaching into the bag with the tiny spoon. Sea to Summit makes a really nice one. I don't really give a shit which one you buy, but you are doing yourself a disservice if you do not have a long spoon in your possibles pouch. Now, one might ask like, well, why don't you keep this with your food? And it's because like, well, the food is always changing. I keep my food in daily bags and my backpack and my possibles pouch is always close. So that's why I keep things like the Mio and the spoons in my possibles pouch, because I always know where they are when I sit down for mealtime. Extra batteries. Other than the two battery banks that I'm bringing, the only batteries that I'm bringing are four AAAs and one of these like C-130s or whatever the fuck they're called for the SteriPen. Throughout the years, I used to have way too many cords, way too many batteries, way too many everythings. And I've really focused on like paying attention to what I bring. And I realized the only thing I have that takes like an external battery are my headlamps, which I'll get into. And they're actually rechargeable, but you can take out the rechargeable batteries and stick in triple A's. So this is like a last ditch emergency triple A's. If both my rechargeable headlamps died and I didn't have any more power bank charge to like fill them back up. And then, like I said, the SteriPen battery, but with all the stuff I have, those are the only batteries, like the actual batteries that I need to bring other than like camera batteries. Okay. And last but not least, we have two headlamps. They are the same brand and the same type. They are called the Revolt. This Revolt I bought three years ago. It is USB chargeable, but also takes AAA batteries. Like I just mentioned. I love this. I can't figure out why more people haven't got onto the USB chargeable headlamp. I charge it every night. I put it on fresh every morning. I never have to worry about taking a bunch of batteries or how full the batteries are or when the battery is going to die. The one drawback of this Revolt is that it's not super bright. It's maybe 250 lumens. It works. You can get by, but I've always thought to myself, oh, you know, I, I would really like a brighter headlamp. Also, I've always recognized the need to have a second headlamp in case of a catastrophic failure with your first headlamp. I was always going to buy one of those Petzl E-lights or a smaller, more emergency type headlamp. I just never got around to it. Then Black Diamond came out with the new version of the Revolt and it goes up to 350 lumens. So I was like, oh, sweet. This will be perfect. I'll just keep them both. This will be my backup, the old one, and I'll run the new one for my day to day. It's a little bit heavy for a backup, you know, headlamp, but not really, I suppose. Plus, with the intensity of this particular hunt, I'm definitely playing things more cautious than I normally would. Would I take two headlamps? 
on a three-day bivy elk hunt? No. You're going to have your phone. I keep a small Pelican flashlight in my first aid kit. Like I have other solutions to the problem, but on a like seven, eight day overnight solo hunt in the winter time, like fuck. Yeah, I will. I will take two headlamps. Okay. That's it. That's a look inside my possibles pouch, my camera accessories bag, my kill kit, and some of the other kind of, kind of random accessories and things that I bring with me on a hunt. I hope that was useful. I'd love to see some of you guys post below. Is there anything that I missed? Is there anything in your kit that you really like that I should go look at? Was there anything in this kit that you found particularly useful and you will put in yours moving forward? Would love to hear back from you guys. As always, if you got any questions, hit me up. Jay at mindfulhunter.com. Instagram is mindful underscore hunter. YouTube, mindful underscore hunter. And my website, is mindfulhunter.com. If you could take a moment to like, share, comment, or subscribe on whatever platform you're enjoying this content on, I would greatly appreciate it. So until next week, thanks for tuning in.